Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the future of work and uh, how it's been changed by COVID. Is Are things back to normal? I think the answer is probably no, or maybe this is the new normal, but I guess we'll find out as we have our discussion today. So uh, this is a, a topic that I always really like, Rochelle. Uh, it is crazy how like COVID has affected work over the last few years. Like literally overnight, we went from going into the office five days a week to going into the office zero days a week. And yep. uh, I think now we've got sort of a combination of everything in between. Like there are still a lot of people that work from home full time. Uh, there are a lot of companies that brought people back to work uh, 100% of the time. And then there are uh, hybrid things in between there. And uh, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Uh, uh, it's probably some selfish reasons because it helps me think about uh, like, do I want to go back into work or do I want to stay home? Uh, because honestly, like there's sort of, I've always sort of found pros and cons uh, to both. So I'm, I'm very excited for us to have this discussion today. I am too. You know, I have been a manager for the last 25 or so years. And I grew up in the philosophy of management, you know, seats and chairs, you know, face-to-face -face interactions, you know, being able to interact with your staff, see what they're doing, you know, know they're not on a four-hour lunch break or, you know, goofing off. What, high, what COVID has done for us is it has demonstrated repeatedly that people are equally as successful in person as they are remotely. Now, of course, you're going to have those that are going to flake off and do whatever they do. And they would have done that whether you were in person or not. That was just, you know, who they were. But I think that one of the interesting pieces about this in the future of work, and this is what really got me thinking about this, is the dynamic relationship between people, mm -hmm. right? Even the most shyest introverted person, he lives in my house. He's He works for a similar organization. He is the classic introvert. I mean, like, it's just, I've never seen anything like it, like, People just are not his favorite thing. <laughs> um, but what the this new work model has done, it has allowed those introverts to crawl further into their holes. Mm -hmm. And then when they're forced out because they have to have an in-person meeting or interact with someone, their skills are not up to speed because they have not had that continual interactions with people, you know, in a way oh, yeah. that is you know, skill building and relationship building, you know, those are the things that I think suffered the most with going remote. Now, on the other side of that, you know, think about how many, how how well we're doing for the environment. I know everybody says the environment is terrible, but less cars on the road, mm -hmm. you know, putting out fumes and stuff, less wear and tear on the utilities, you know, because you don't have to heat a building for 50,000 people. You only have to heat it for two, you know, the, there, there's arguments on both sides of it. And I would say, as a manager, you know your people well enough to know who know who those are that are going to work and do whatever is expected of them in a normal way. They're not going to go off and, you know, have their um, camera closed and, you know, not near their laptop or whatever. You know, you know those kinds of employees. So one of the questions that I have about this is, like, if we have lost the stabilizing factor in relationships 
by not being in person? How do we renew the things that build relationships and community and connectivity among us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really hard. Like uh, sort of expanding on what you're saying, that's something that I've noticed as well is like uh, when people were in the office every day, you were forced to interact like, you know, whether you're getting up to go to the bathroom or get coffee or whatever, you're going to like have a human interaction with somebody most of the time. And like, it's going to be like a small one that may be insignificant, but it is going to be a human interaction. And that helps you work your, I guess it's not really a muscle, but you know, maybe it is a muscle, like your, your people skills, like, you know, how to talk to people. And one thing that I've noticed anyway, is that once when all that switched to uh, online communication only, like whether it's Teams or Slack or something else, all that like uh, nice, like people skill buffer just sort of falls away. And people just talk, for the most part, just talk business. Like, if I'm talking to person X, it's going to be about something I need from person X or something person X needs from me. From me. It's not going to be about uh, their review of the Pope's exorcist, right? <laughs> like all of that just sort of falls to the side. And it's sort of, uh, I mean, it really, it, it it's not good, honestly. Um, but I think we can make up for some of that by being conscious in talking to folks digitally, right? Like instead of uh, only talking to folks when you need something or only talking to folks when they need something from you, you know, reaching out and saying hello, just in like, as if it were a casual encounter at the coffee machine or something helps, but that's hard to do. And that takes, you know, that's another uh, mental muscle to work out is, you know, being friendly with people uh, over work communication channels and not necessarily having it always be about work. Like that's a balance. I, I certainly haven't found that balance, but it's something that I would hope to find. I think that one of the pieces and parts of this is that, we weren't great at people's skills when we were in person, right? We had the few people that we liked, right? The people we we felt comfortable with, we interacted with. And so we weren't hitting it out of the park. And then the other side of that is sometimes you meet to meet. And those are the most wasteful meetings ever because they don't, I don't think organizations appreciate the drain that puts on their employees. You know, you've already got to meet because you've got these projects and things going on. But, you know, meet... Well, we're we're meaning to talk about this project that we hope to kick off in January and we need all people involved and so that but what did we accomplish? You know, we just made a few statements, said a few things, but there's nothing definitive. So you have this meeting. So the idea of expanding our interactions between each other using digital means becomes stressful, right? Because oh my God, I gotta be online, or I've gotta have my hair combed, or I've gotta, you know, brush my teeth, or whatever it is you know, for this meeting, right? You, you know, because I'm working remotely and I look like cousin it at home. So now that I'm going to meet with you, Drew, I've got to comb my hair. I've got to put my glasses on. I, that's stressful. Mm-hmm. Then when you try to force the interaction, right? You're trying to force people to interact. That's stressful. I think it has to be different, right? So like, you know, we talk a lot about interactions, people going to baseball games and stuff like that. But you can do that digitally. So once a month, you carve out an hour where you're playing a game. You're not allowed to talk about work. You're, you're just your social interaction, you know. So one of the things that I, I just told um, a group of people to do is um, um, improvisation, improvisation. You know, like, let's imagine the entire office caught on fire. What mm-hmm. would you do? You know, it's something that's fun 
you know, it's just, you know, imagine the worst and come up with a solution. Yeah. And you're doing it together as a team. You know, everybody has their ideas. They can throw it in, you know. But to have things that are fun, you know, yeah. um, there were escape rooms came around before COVID. You know, escape rooms are, were, were, were popular. But to have something where people have an ability to use the digital technology, but not use it for work purposes, to use it yeah. to engage, you know, um, I um, set up a, a group of teenagers. We played name that too, you oh, know, yeah. um, it's fun, you know, so uh, 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 different genres of music that are there and people were able to, you know, name the tune and make fun of others when they got it wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, finding that's one of the ways. So finding ways to make, distance fun that that's a really good point because we do have somebody that like does a trivia game once a week on our like team's channel and it's uh it's fun like i won't say i participate it in it every week but it's always just fun to at least like if you look down through it and see like what other people are saying and just you know just those little things really help out and i think sort of like the flip side of that and this is something that i've noticed recently too is like uh interacting with people after working from home for three years is exhausting as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, I go in about, I, I try to go in twice a week and it usually ends up being like once a week. But if there are like a lot of people in the office when I'm in there, like and I'm talking to people all day long, which at the time I like, but like at the end of the day, like my mind is gone. Like I cannot, uh, it's like, did like 100% of my energy was uh spent in the, yeah. in the yeah exactly Absolutely. and it's hard to keep that up like I don't know how we did it at work talking to people every day like that like which I think we did and we were probably exhausted at the end of the day but since we did it every day we just didn't realize it quite as much right and and, and I think that if you ask people just in general in person hybrid or remote more people pick the hybrid model you know they don't mm -hmm. want to be at home 100% of the time, but they don't want to be in the office 100% of the time. So the hybrid and finding a a nice balance in the hybrid model, you know, so what you said, you know, you go in sometimes two times a week or sometimes just one time a week, you know, that's a good model, right? So it allows you to have that interaction. But I think what you said is also very important, you know, so at the end of that day in the office, you know, you're interacting with your coworkers, the people who you normally talk to every day, that, that have come into the office and then you're interacting with people you don't. And, and so you're right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's jockeying your mind to be in balance. And, you know, people talk a lot about this work-life balance, but it's, it's a fallacy. There's no such thing. You know, people who are going to work and work and work and work until something gets done. And then they might take some time off, but then they're going to go back yeah. and work and work and work. And it's like the little uh, worker bees, you know, they're working, 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 working to get something done. And then, you know, they go home and take a few minutes off it and then they go right back to it again. Yeah. Because that, managing that balance is hard, right? And knowing, like you know, if you have young kids, you know, we have a lot of distracted parents, right? They're too busy doing work and they're busy being a parent and they're not present in either one. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the way we think about work, we really have to rethink the concept of work. We really need to rethink it. What does this mean, you know, so yes, this is what pays me. This is what, you know, allows me to have camaraderie, you know, they have benefits, all of these things, but where do you manage it? You know, managers and organizations, do they say, Hey, Drew, I've seen you online since six o'clock this morning and it's seven 30 at night. Stop, go, go home, relax, go, go play some chess, go see a scary movie, 
but yeah. relax, you know? And I think that you're able to balance that. You know, you, you take time out, you go to the movies, you're a great movie person. So you do have some work life, but I would say the Drew that I know is a really type A person when it comes to work. Once you have a project, you're fully committed to it and you give it everything you got until you get it to the point where some other people can engage with it. Right. Yeah. That's where that work-life balance gets into question. Right. you got a person who's very, very good at what he does. He knows what he's doing and all these things, but then, you know, Oh yeah. Keeping up appearances, you know, doing what it is that I do. It's, it's hard to manage that balance. And so I think that the hybrid model is probably what we're going to see more of as we go forward. The problem just is, is those people who are going to give you their all really struggle with giving you their all and maintaining their lives, even if they're remote. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there are a lot of things we can do to like help that as well. Like I know, and this is a conversation our team recently had was uh, like, no one wants to make a culture of working 24 seven. And also people want to do work uh, and off hours. Right. <laughs> right. Like those are two things. And that is also something that I'm guilty of is like, uh, I don't want to do more work than average, but the work that I do may not be during eight to five. So I may want to like leave early in the afternoon and then do some work in the evening or, you know, uh, maybe I want to work on a Saturday and then come come in late on a Monday or something. And I feel like all of that is good, but I think the thing that we have to keep in mind is not presenting an image of like Drew works 24 seven because I don't. And like one thing that I noticed, this is something one of my coworkers did that I thought was really cool. I was working, uh, I was at work a little bit early or earlier than most people, like seven o'clock or something. And I got a message from this coworker saying like, Hey, just a heads up, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Seven o'clock. We're both on no big deal. And then I saw him walk through the door and come in the building. And I was like, did you just like send me a message from your phone? Like, how did you send me this message? Like, and I don't see the phone in your hand right now. Like what happened? And he said, oh, he sent it. Uh, he was working like the previous night or something and did one of those delayed send things so that it yeah. didn't look like he was trying to bug people in the middle of the night. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like that's a, that's a very like thoughtful way of, hey, I've got this thing, but uh, I don't want to present this image of working 24 seven because they're not working 24 seven. And there may be people that do like work too much, but I often wonder if that's like uh, a minority of folks, not the majority of folks. Some people just have weird hours. Like uh, another coworker was talking about someone working at 4 a.m. And they were like, well, 4 a.m. for this person is late in the evening. 4 a.m. for me is early in, in the morning. And there's like, that's a huge difference when it comes to you know, doing work. It was this study done uh, maybe five or six years ago, right? Maybe even longer. The average employee in the organization, 12% of them are worker bees. 48 or so percent are, yeah, they do what's necessary just to get by. And then the rest are slackers. Yeah. The companies know that, right? They're counting on those worker bees to carry the load for all those slackers and just barely making it through. Yeah. Because you come to work, you know, first thing you do is get your Facebook page up or your Instagram page up. I mean, like, that's not helpful to your employer. I mean, yeah. it might be a relief. It might give you some distraction, that work-life balance thing. But most, that 12% comes in 
and they don't go to Facebook. They go to their projects, their emails, whatever it is, and they get started on it. Yeah. And what I don't understand about human resources and organizational behavior is why they have not gotten rid of that percent that's not doing anything. And I realize, you know, I can say this for a fact, it's hard to fire someone. Yeah. I mean, they've got to be grossly inefficient, you know, and the process is you, you, you tell them, hey, you need to stop doing this. They acknowledge it, they go off. Then you send them a written letter. Hey, you need to stop doing this. They, they go off. And and one day they perform like a regular employee. That written letter you wrote now starts back over at ground zero. So they go back. And so I understand how hard it is to fire someone. But still, counting on that 12% to break their backs is unfair. And in this hybrid world, that 12%. They're always on, you know, they are doing their work morning, whenever spirit hits them. If it's two o'clock in the morning, they have insomnia, they can't sleep, they go work. Or, yeah. you know, late in the afternoon, you know, they've had finished dinner with the family, they go work. Yeah. And so the dependence upon people who are conscientious and really interested in doing their job well, puts a lot of pressure on those people, right, to do more, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody else fails at something, that person may pick it up. Oh, I'll help you with that. Or I can do that. That's where you get to trouble with the work-life balance. But Drew, I want to ask you this. So what is the role of technology in this? So where does technology affect us in that work-life balance and in that model between in-person, hybrid, and remote? So I think we hit a really sweet spot with uh, the COVID timing and technology because it was before Zoom, and I'm not like a lover of Zoom, but I think it's been like more than adequate to get everybody working from home like pre-zoom uh doing work or meeting with people remotely was a huge pain like the software was just not great there was skype which is pretty good but most folks have stopped using skype there was that cisco webex which was WebEx. Like, awful. i hated that oh my god i hated that and i'm not a fan of teams either <laughs> it yeah. was not much better than webex yeah, like they're both pretty bad. Yeah. And then Zoom came along and really made it easy to just click this button and now you're in a video conference that's going to work like mostly well all of the time. Right. Uh, and they can't, I'm trying to think about when Zoom really got popular, but I feel like it was only, you know, it was less than a couple of years before COVID. Like Zoom had not gotten a lot of traction until right. COVID days. Because WebEx was really leading the way. Cisco had done a very good job of marketing their product and it was really leading away because they had other interfaces, right? It was in addition mm -hmm. to WebEx, you had other things that they provided. So, you know, it seemed like a reasonable thing for organizations to do. But, you know, you have all these baby companies coming like Slack and all these other companies that keep coming up with these ideas of how to meet and manage meetings and manage employees, which I think is almost always a deficit because like literally you need a simple tool. Click, record, click, not record, click and be in a meeting and be over. That's yeah. it. The problem with technologies like Zoom is we become so dependent upon it, right? We we fall asleep on the applications. You know, we aren't paying attention to what they're doing. I mean, like we were talking about this not too long ago, LastPass, you know, we fell asleep on it. Everybody was last, you know, one pass was out there. There was all these, other, but we all went running to the LastPass and, and we, we didn't pay attention to what was happening until it was too late. So here we yeah. are now with these other technologies, right? So the conversation everywhere, I mean, like there's nowhere you can go where chat GPT or open AI kinds of concepts are not the discussion. Like everybody's terrified these technologies are gonna take away their jobs. And yeah. 
legitimately so. And I think we talked about this very early on. So if you go to Sam's Club or Costco's, there are these huge warehouse stores, mm-hmm. right? And before COVID, maybe a little bit even before maybe 2018 or so, it's these little kiosks started popping up in these stores, you know, so you could go and scan your milk. You didn't have to wait in a long line for somebody who got these massive carts of things that they're buying. You mm-hmm. could go to the kiosk and scan yourself out and you show your app. You open your phone to the app. You sh- the person at the door, the checker at the door scans the app and says, oh, you have 25 things in your cart. Is that correct? Yes. And then they scan one or two to confirm that in the application. That piece of technology to me is going to be one of the first things that replace hospitality roles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so when you go check into a hotel, you don't have to go to the concierge or whatever. You can go straight to a kiosk, key in, get your key, and you're going. Yeah. That, I think, will eliminate some jobs. Yeah, the flight kiosks, those, like, took, out, took off like crazy. Like, uh, yep. I mean, those are, they. the last time I flew anyway, like, the kiosks were by far busier than, like, the single person doing the actual, like, non-kiosk check-ins. Like, it was, that just sort of came in and decimated those positions. Right. And so now, as you look at where these things are going, more and more of those jobs are going to fall susceptible to that technology. And like always, you know, going back to my favorite movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Four Games is my favorite movie. I'm talking my favorite technology movie. Okay, but going back to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Mr. Buckus was fired because of a new automated toothbrush fixer, mm-hmm. whatever it did, toothpaste fixer. Um, and he came back to now we fix the, the machine. So you're always going to have these places where you're going to need technicians to fix whatever automation you put in place, because technology is not foolproof because it's made by human beings and we are flawed as all get out. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so there's that, but you know, then you think about this, what are the other places? So where else can you apply a technology like the kiosk technology that will eliminate jobs? And you can look look around, you know, and, and in our field, the work that we do, I would say if if you had a hundred percent employment, go back to that study, 12% 12% of them are, you know, those are your stars. You keep them, you pay them, you do whatever it takes to make them happen. But the other, that 80, what is it? 84% or whatever that is, 86%, whatever, 88% of them, mm-hmm. technology is waiting on you. And if you are paying attention, it's coming for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. And- my, I think one of my favorite, this is a position that I had not heard of until the open, a, or until all the chat GPT stuff came up, but prompt engineering positions, which is just a position to prompt the AI. I was like, yep. oh, that's sort of, that might be the new Charlie Buckets uh, fixing the toothpaste machines. Like it's a uh, thing where, you know, you're having to, you're having to learn how to ask the question correctly to an AI system. And I sometimes wonder if that's going to be like a bigger thing than what we even think now. And, and I think that you have so many of these things that are in the, in on the way. You know, somebody's yeah. working on it right now. Somebody's thinking about these things right now, and they're going to figure it out one way or the other. The question is, is will we be prepared for the answers? Right? Will we be prepared to respond in kind in a way that keeps humanity going? Right? Yeah. So, you know, there's so much out there. Like I remember the first time I saw. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's a tool you use to check uh, for uh, dirt and the level of pollution in the ocean. Mm-hmm. 
want to say Fleck or something. I can't think of it. It starts with F. I can't think of it right now. But like those technologies are old. I mean, really yeah. old. They're coming. They're coming. You know, so we're going to know whether climate uh, issues are real or not. You know, you can make up all the stuff you want. You can set up there. Oh, no, we don't have climate issues. This is just normal. But the tools that are going to come and tell you for sure are coming. Electric cars coming. I mean, I would say probably by 2030, 2035, the United States will not have any gas driven cars because it's bad for the environment. You know, we need to be prepared for what that means, you know, like. And so when you think about the future of work, the future of technology walks side by side. There's no it used to be back in the day, technology enhanced things. Technology is the thing now. It's not the enhancement. It is the thing. You know, yeah. so it's not making an employee better. It's not making this work better. It's the thing. You know, when cloud came, people who ran data centers should have been afraid because they were coming for their jobs. You oh, know, yeah. and every day that data center footprints get smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. The risks are out there. Of course, you know, the company used being hacked or something like that. But the demand for technical people to run a data center or operation center or a network center. Those days are fading and fading fast. Mm-hmm. So Drew, I have a question. I am 19 years old. Will I have a job in 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. And I think it'll be probably a different job than what we're thinking about now. Like specifically around the data centers, like you're right. Like people used to go into data uh, thousands or millions of like, uh, I guess mainly like sysadmins, which is the position that I'm in, would go to a data center and like fix things or lay hands on things and do things. And it was scary when data centers started, uh, I won't say going away, but when more people started using cloud services. And like, I haven't stepped foot inside a data center in probably over a decade now. Like I just haven't had no need to. But a lot of that is because the job changed. Like instead of, you know, putting feet on the ground and going and rebooting a host. And that used to be a skill, right? That was, it sounds easy, but it's not something that like a, every person in the world could do, do without yeah. training. And that sort of turned into how do you reboot a host in the cloud, right? And how do I do that automatically? Because like, yeah, like it sounds easy as well. It's it's not quite as easy as, you know, it takes a lot of orchestration. And that's really sort of how the job changed was, yeah, sysadmins now don't go into the data centers anymore, but it doesn't mean that that time is like now just free time to watch movies. That time is now replaced with, I need to do these things in the cloud, (laughs) which uh, is a lot more optimized and a lot more efficient. And, you know, you can do, you can handle a lot more, call them virtual servers, as opposed to the physical servers of 15, 20 years ago that needed so much attention. You know, I can reboot a million virtual machines much faster than I can reboot a hundred physical machines because, you know, it had to pick up those automation skills. Right. And you send a command to the to the machine or the server or whatever it is to do whatever action you want. You could do that remotely. I think that where I see this going is like. So, so let's just say company A signs up with Amazon Web Services says, here, I want you to run all of this for me, mm-hmm. your data. Is it private and is it yours? So now you've shared all your data with Amazon. They have all of your stuff there. There's that. And you need a human to keep on top of that, right? You need a human to watch what's happening to your data. If you're a banking institution, you're a healthcare institution, 
you need to know that your data is secure. Yeah. And while Amazon has a pretty good track record, as we always say, there's no such thing as fully secure. There is not. You know, you could be as secure as you could be, but it's not. So mm-hmm. while the future of work may take away some jobs, it may bring more specialty, specialty jobs. You know, I mean, I remember you talking about like my first job was in a massive IBM data center. I mean, it took three buildings for us to, I mean, like the 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 DASD, the hard drives were in one building, the tape units were in another building, the CPU was, I mean, massive. And I mean, you had to go between buildings, you know, some buildings had tunnels that you could go between, but I mean, like, and I mean, massive. The air con- I remember once I saw the air conditioning bill for the data center. It was close to $2 million. And this is in the late 70s. Yeah. You know, the air conditioning, you know, keeping so there are incentives for organizations to jump on to new innovations as they come along. Yeah. And I think your point is right. We will probably have to retool people to know how to do and support these services. You know, so when we get to the place where we have this this is later on in our list, when we get to the place where bots are running our entire life, who's gonna manage the bots? Who's gonna yeah. keep the bots on track, right? Yeah. And the Right now, they're especially in the AI space, the bots are competing, right? Every day, somebody new comes online with a new bot. You know, yeah. how a company is going to make a decision about which to go? And, you know, the pricing is astronomical. You know, you know, $1,000 a month for all your employees to use this bot. I think that these are the places where humans will need to refine what this type of work means and how we live with technology in a way that is self-sustaining. Yeah. Do you think that any of the positions will remain the same? Like any jobs will remain the same? Like, is there anything, any job where you can think like, oh yeah, they're going to be good for the next 20 years. They don't, they can just keep on doing what they're doing. Or do you think uh, pretty much every position is going to have to reevaluate? I think majority of the positions will have to reevaluate. So, you know, thinking about um, DevOps, you know, somebody who's developing something and operating what they develop, automation is going to remove the operate. Uh, Automation is going to remove the operations of it. They might still mm-hmm. need them to develop, but it, the op piece won't be. Cloud technologists, people who do and design stuff for the cloud, their roles will change because Amazon or whomever it will will think, oh, I can do this, you know, because there's money in, in them developing it. So they're constantly looking at ways that they can develop it. So I think that in the grand scheme of things, hospitality is probably going to hit, be hit the hardest, right? I think followed by hospitality or like, um, tr- truck drivers and mail services and all those things are going to be automated because I saw mm-hmm. I, I think you might have told me about somebody t- somebody was dropping toilet paper in people's yard when COVID first hit because t- you know supplies were short supply they used yeah. drones to fly uh, eight pack rolls of <laughs> and drop them in people's yard yeah. now that was COVID imagine you know how much longer will we use the the post office the united states postal service you know it's a great service but it's slow it's clunky it's big and it's bureaucratic yeah it's ripe for automation right Mm -hmm. you know it's ripe for automation to take that and i can't tell you how often i get my neighbor's mail i mean i look at my mailbox i got their mail they probably got my mail and sometimes it might be important mail you know people throw other people's mails away you know so they're they're you know these types of places where we're used to it working this way, the supply chain issues we have with COVID, 
they will all go away when this automation catches up. So I don't think very many jobs will remain as is. I think that it will be important for us to think about retooling our skill set, right? So (laughs) if you want to get into cloud technology, here are the five steps you need to do, whatever they might be, or whatever it is. But be prepared for your job to change. You know, be prepared for it to evolve along the swing of technology. The, the, The fear that I have, and specifically in the future of work, is that we get rid of a, a, a technology, a skill set, and find out we need it later on. Mm-hmm. So, so we've eliminated all of these people. There are no more computer operators, no more help desk people. We've got rid of all of them, and then we find out we need them still. And so the skill set is not being maintained by the people who had those jobs. So now you're trying to figure out how do I you know, manage what I need to manage when we're constantly thinking of you know, cost saving. Can I get rid of like you know, some some person's job is, you know, they make over $100,000. That's a position we can eliminate. You know, we get yeah. rid of that position and then find out you still need it. Oh, yeah. It reminds me, have you watched the, I think it's an Apple TV show called Silo? I had not. It's about, it takes place sometime in the future where like everybody lives in silos and like the earth has been poisoned or something. So like generations have been living like underground in these silos. And in one of the episodes, uh, the power generator is broken. So like the people that run the generator have to uh, stop it, make it fix and then restart it. And the uh, the conflict comes in because like no one has ever started, restarted one of these generators before. You've got like, you know, third generation people who have always just lived with these generators running and now they have to stop it to fix something. And nobody knows how to do it because the people that knew how to fix it are like, you know, hundred decades. <laughs> Uh, centuries dead. And uh, I wonder if we'll ever hit anything with that with technology where we just take these things, these like lower level things for granted so much that at some point, uh, all the people that know it are going to be dead. And the people that need to know it aren't going to know what to do with it. The people that are still living aren't going right. to know. And and that leads me to think about like documentation, right? So Remember when we documented everything, you know, mm-hmm. there were books and books and books of documenting on how to do everything. We're not doing that anymore. You know, knowledge now lives in the team. Yeah. And sometimes the team documents it and sometimes they don't. And I think that that's one of the pieces that's going to be added to the future of work is how do we maintain our knowledge base without losing it? And I mean, it's the knowledge base is right for AI. I mean, there's a, you get a good AI team out there and you say, here's how you set up a cloud service with Amazon and just put it out there in your team, your policies and all that stuff. Yeah. That could be a, 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 a digital interface that anybody yeah. can go and get it. But we don't do that anymore. We move away, we have moved so far away from documentation because we assume it's somewhere. <laughs> the problem yeah. is it's not always somewhere. Yeah. You know, the people who are in charge of documentation are almost always people near the bottom of the totem pole, right? Oh yeah. Because yeah. the people who are busy implementing it, they don't have time. So they've told told someone, hey, this is what I did to do this. Good luck with that. Yeah. Or like maybe it's over-documented. Maybe there are like 30 places that all describe it a little bit differently. Like I feel like I run into that issue almost as much as documentation. It's like, well, there is documentation, but you have to like glue these five pieces of documentation together for exactly what you want to do. And it's yeah. it's hard. Uh, and before... I think, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the one other thing that that comes to mind in that space is performance evaluations, right? Mm-hmm. So used to be, you know, you had a meeting with your your manager and you sat and talked about what you did, what you didn't do, what you want to do, you know, and all these things. 
it's moving. That's getting smaller and smaller. So, you know, it's the time, like what used to be an hour meeting is now 15 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes, but it's getting smaller and smaller. We're moving away from that. Yeah. And so now, and this, I read this in, uh, I think it was McKinsey. I don't remember. It. Don't hold me to that. But I read it in one of these uh, magazines that performance evaluations will be done by a bot. You know, you'll, you'll create your, your, your template of what you've done. And, you know, the manager will create his or her template of what they've done. And yeah. it'll push together and come up and says, well, Rochelle, at 10 o'clock on this day, we're going to evaluate you. Yeah. And here's what we know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know that I love or hate that. And I, I guess the answer is probably like a little bit of both, because I feel like the good side of that is if it's if you're being evaluated by a bot, uh, there's going to be no surprise in theory. Right. Like you can be getting feedback from the bot. Uh all the time, which is not always the case with a human being who, you know, wants to be, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff goes into why human beings aren't communicate, aren't communicative enough, but like, I mean, that could be good. And the downside is, is the bot going to really know like all that stuff that I did, or is the bot going to know, is the bot going to have the context for why some things were super significant and other things were not significant at all? Like that, I getting we- that level of tuning is hard. When you develop the scale, it will be easy for the bot. The piece that really is most important is that what, ha- you know, so I don't know if this is still the case, but you used to have to, you know, you do your self-evaluation. You talk about all the things that you accomplished and all the things you want to accomplish and da, 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 da. I think if the bot had all of that and then they had the job description and they had the work that you had, it could be interactive, right? So it could say, hey, Drew, you know, have this project to do this is done due by Sunday and I haven't had an update, which might remind you to do it, might mm-hmm. judge you, and have, you know, but I think that this there, and I will say this, and, and I think everybody knows, I think human resources is the worst part of any organization. It's not transparent. There's nothing in it that, an employee is always at a disadvantage in human resources. Okay. Only yeah. when you're getting hired that you have an advantage, but everything else goes. They've got information from other people they've collected. They don't share it. You don't know it. And all of a sudden it hits you like a truck. Human resources needs automation desperately. We need to get rid of these people that bring in their bias and their own pieces and have things that are clearer, right? So you're hiring fairly. You're hiring people based on their skills and their abilities, not based on some quota system or some number system that makes you feel good. Create a system in which you're hiring qualified people to do the job, the 12%, and that you give the 12% all they need to do their work successfully and grow your organization. But if you're narrowing it down... Like if you can imagine cooking a big dinner and I've done hundreds of these cooking a big dinner for like 50 or 60 people and human resources is the dinner, right? There's somebody who doesn't eat meat. There's somebody who don't like vegetables. There's somebody who can't gluten free. You've got all these other, and you've got one organization trying to figure out how to do all of that for however many employees they have. Almost in, inevitably, they're going to fail. What human resources needs is automation. You need to have, you know, so we have the, uh, what is the application tracking system where you submit your application, it feeds mm-hmm. out all the people who don't meet the criteria. That's great. But you need another layer on top of that. You know, what's the human criteria? You know, this person outgoing, are they introvert? You know, do they like working with a team? They prefer to, you know, you mm-hmm. need that added into your, your criteria for employees. And then you need a part of it where you're paying your employees equitably from the get-go. You don't pay a guy's coming in new to the organ, got the exact same t- title as the guy over here, and you're gonna pay this guy less. Those kinds of pieces need to be broken apart in human resources, Drew. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Um, I know we're about at time, but the only other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, the right now there's a writer strike in Hollywood. So one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and one of the things that they are striking for is like, you know, uh, against the use of things like chat GPT or AI to write scripts. And I was listening to an interview with a writer director. And his point is that right now, like, open AI or AI can write scripts, but they can't write good scripts <laughs> was his, his analogy. They can write scripts poorly, which a lot of people write successful scripts poorly. So already that's, you know, a big deal. And then he said something that I don't agree with was that open AI or chat GPT or any AI would never be able to create a super creative script like, and he used the example, everything, everywhere, all at once, which is a really good movie from a couple of years ago. And I don't know that I agree that it wouldn't be able to write something like that. Maybe it can't write it now, but it is a matter of like years, not decades, I think, before it can write something really creative like that. And I think that is very scary. I think that if you give chat GPT or whatever AI tool you use an outline, and let it go. Yeah. I think you can't, it's just like any technology. You can't leave it out there on its own and expect it. To, you need human interaction. So you take that 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 outline that you provided and it wrote whatever it wrote about those outlines. I think that it has the making to be better and sooner than years, maybe yeah. just a few years before chat GPT. Because think of all the data it has amassed over the years. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, so books that have been written, you know, you know, the future of the world and all these things, you know, it's got all of this data. Do you remember, um, we talked about this the other day, what's the name of the movie we talk about with Bruce Willis and uh, futuristic Chris, Chris, Chris Tucker? Um, Fifth Element. Fifth Element. So in the movie, the, the savior is looking at um, this video of all kinds of things. She gets to the word, I think it's either victory or W, whatever it is. And she's looking and it's got a history of what every single one of those instances are. Yeah. That's not far. And what's that movie from the 80s or 90s? Uh, 1994, I want to say. Right. But think about that. Taking that one piece where someone can sit down in front of a computer or some kind of screen and learn every instance of the letter V. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And say that now it cannot write a book. I think it can write a book, Drew. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. And it was 1997. I just looked it up. 19, okay. Not 1994. <laughs> My favorite movies, too. I've watched it like a gazillion times. That's it's, terrible. It's great. <laughs> it is. It's funny. Uh, it was sad. The uh, One of the guys in there died recently. Who was that? Uh, the guy that played the president passed away. Uh, I think I saw that. And Bruce Willis has some kind of health issue, too. Yeah, he has like, a, it sounds like a early on, some early onset dementia that he has. Okay. Tommy yeah. Lister was the guy yeah. that passed away, but he was really good. And yeah, and Bruce Willis also always great. Yeah, I love almost everything he did. But, but you know, I think that we, we, we make too many assumptions when we say what technology can I do, because I would tell you probably... Five years from now, you will not have any kind of cash. None. Yeah. No coins, no dollars. Not that you're a collector and you just have it in your jar, but oh, companies yeah. and things will not accept cash, yeah. you know? And that introduces a whole nother uh, type of crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't use cash at all right now. Like, I don't know the last time I, like, I held a paper bill. Like, it was not 
anytime recently. You could tell the difference in our age. I don't feel comfortable unless I have some paper money, at least <laughs> $5 in my wallet. You know, if I want to get a, a soda or something, I, I mean, I feel naked when I don't have cash. And I'm like, I'm sitting here fearful for the day that I will not have cash and no one will accept my cash. So when I send you a $25 gift card, you'll accept that. But if I see you in, purpose, in person, I give you 25. What is this? Why are you giving <laughs> this? I can see it now, Drew. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and I think we're about at time, so I guess we'll we'll wrap it up. But uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, uh, this was a really fun one. Thank you, Rochelle. I enjoyed this. Uh, to all our listeners, uh, if you have any questions or comments, please send them in to imminentteachnology at gmail.com, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>